warriors, wastelands, a little magic, and an epic quest to reach a fabled city. All the ingredients are here for a fun fantasy tale, but will it deliver? This is the AIC Stories Podcast, and today on The Review, we're going to be talking about a book called A Girl From Nowhere, The Firewall Trilogy Number 1, written by author James Maxwell. Welcome to The Review. Welcome back, everyone. Today we've got a little different uh, type of book than what we've been covering. I know we've we've gone through uh, Nick Offerman's memoir. We've gone through the sci-fi masterpiece uh, from Arthur C. Clarke. Um, we've gone through Dave Grohl's memoir. And so this time we're diving into one of my favorite genres since I was a little kid. The first genre that really pulled me in and made me an avid lifelong reader. That's fantasy. Now, not all fantasy is great. In fact, a lot of it can end up feeling kind of stereotypical and, and tropish. So I had a chance a while back through the Kindle First Reads program to grab this book, A Girl From Nowhere, uh, from author James Maxwell. Now this version, uh, the Kindle edition that I had as I work through this back catalog, like I said, my goal is to go through and read through the eclectic mix of everything that's been accumulating on my Kindle over the last few years and everything on my bookshelves at home that has sat there and never been read. And part of that eclectic mix, we're going to dive into some fantasy. This version of A Girl From Nowhere was published uh, May of 2020 by publisher 47 North, which is actually the sci-fi and fantasy imprint of Amazon Publishing. Now, to give you a quick rundown, this is from Goodreads. Here's how they describe this story. Surrounded by fire, a girl with mysterious powers and a young warrior search for safety. Life in the wasteland is a constant struggle. No one knows it better than Taman, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, crippled and with only his indomitable aunt to protect him, Taman must learn to survive in a world scorched by two sons and frequented by raiders. But when Taman discovers his homestead ransacked and his aunt killed, he sets off with one mission to seek revenge against those who stole everything. With nowhere to call home, his hunt soon takes a turn when he meets a mystic, Selina, who convinces him to join her search for the fabled White City. Taman and Selina both need refuge, and the White City is a place where Taman may find someone to heal his childhood injury. As they avoid relentless danger, Taman and Selina attempt to reach one place, the one place that promises salvation, and they can only hope that the city is the haven they need it to be. So, like I mentioned earlier, the fantasy genre was the first story genre that I really truly fell in love with as a young reader. It all started when uh, my fantastic English teacher, uh, Mr. Durbin, uh, introduced us to The Hobbit, which then, you know, I needed more. So that moved swiftly into the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. And from there, I discovered uh, first the amazing worlds of Shannara or Shannara from Terry Brooks, uh, then into the Wheel of Time, the worlds of R.A. Salvatore, David Eddings. And from there, the list just went on and on. Brandon Sanderson with his Mistborn trilogy, all of those fantastic series. But with all that being said, I tend to go back to just those 
you know, handful of the core first loves. Shanera, that's how I've always said it. I know it's been corrected to be Shanera, but I still think of it as Shanera, um, Lord of the Rings, Wheel of Time, etc. Anyways, what I'm getting at there is that it leaves a lot to stack up against when you read any other fantasy outside that, you tend to find yourself comparing it. So that means it's, it's a high bar for me. But it means I'm also always willing to take a look at fantasy because it's still probably one of my favorite genres aside from horror. Now, when I saw this book pop up last year on Amazon First Read Selections, it was a no-brainer. It sounded interesting, sounded fun, um, sounded like it had a cool story. And then I, like so many books, got on my, you know, grabbed it, put it on my Kindle, and it found its way onto the to-be-read pile and basically started collecting you know, virtual dust until it was forgotten. Anyways, jumping through, I finally decided here in 2022, I was going to pick this up. It was a relatively quick read. Didn't take me too long to get through. And I, as always, I'm keeping everything spoiler free. So I'm not going to say too much about the story because I don't want to spoil anything. But as I got into this, there was one thing that became very, very evident. Um, through the first through you know few chapters of this book, this author isn't messing around. He's not wasting time in high fantasy settings, you know, taking forever to explain in detail every little blade of grass and tree or anything else. This thing jumps right in and starts moving at a, frankly, almost uncomfortable fast pace. Like It felt like, you know, we're, we're meeting Taman as a child. And then some horrible things happen to his parents, and he's horribly injured, almost killed, taken under his aunt's wing, and fast-forwarding into his, you know, teen or early young adulthood, however old he is in this book, and everything just steamrolls from there. And it's not a, a page-turner like you'd see from, you know, some of the, the thriller or uh, mystery-type novels where it's like, oh my god, the bomb's going to explode, we got to get there. But it's also one of those stories where... You really feel like you are just rushing through this thing and you can't help but keep reading because something is happening constantly. Like I said, we meet our main character and within the first chapter or so his life is completely turned upside down and he's basically thrust into this brutal world that seems fully intent on trying to kill him at every possible turn. Uh, Taman is our main character. He's a, a strange mix of kind of a, a deeply flawed character with his handicap, which this isn't a spoiler for the story. It happens like in the first chapter or so, but he has a giant boulder fall on his leg and basically crush his foot. And so he walks with a, a limp and a, a lot of pain, which would normally be a death sentence for anyone in this, uh, in this universe. Essentially, he's constantly facing death as he struggles to survive not only the harsh world of this wasteland that he lives in, this landscape that's just brutal and punishing. Uh, it's got two different suns that are constantly scorching the earth. There's actually, it's called the Firewall Trilogy, and there's actually this, this section of land where the suns hit at such an angle where anything in there is burned up. And so when his parents die, which happens in the, the very beginning of this book, his aunt takes them and instead of burying the bodies or leaving them for scavengers, his aunt and Taman take the bodies, bring them out into this firewall, they call it, this area that's extremely hot, being scorched by the suns, and leave the bodies. They leave. there. If you're alive, you're able to go in there and back out in, in quick fashion and be okay. 
but if you stay there, you're in trouble. But they put the bodies out there and, and within, I don't know what it says, minutes, hour, something like that, the bodies are burned up, nothing but ash. It's just crazy, crazy scorching sun hot there. Uh, not only is the land this barren wasteland, but there are tons of nasty creatures and uh, people and, and even other races of people, um, kind of alienoid, you know. It's a fantasy book, but it also feels a little sci-fi-ish with the way there's these other creatures that almost feel like aliens, but I, I don't know how to explain it. You'd have to read it to see, but they're, they're really well done. But all these other people, they're, you know, everyone's looking out for themselves. There's raiders, people looking to just survive, and they're going to kill and steal anything and everything they can to, to survive. And so the book opens up with all that happening and really just thrusts you down this path. I, I think in large part, that's why this book feels so fast paced and like essentially a page turner is because you feel like Taman is just destined to keep moving ahead as much as he can because the threat of danger everywhere feels like if he doesn't, it's going to just swallow him up like a tidal wave. But at the same time, when I say he's deeply flawed with his, his disability and everything else, they almost make, because everything's happening so fast and there's so much going on and you know he's the main character, so chances are he's going to be fine. He feels almost supremely overpowered or, or kind of extremely lucky, maybe. I don't know. It's, it's very weird. And so it kind of takes the threat of any real danger, even though there's stuff trying to kill him constantly from the landscape, you know, the wastelands to the raiders and, and creatures and all that stuff. But it always feels like it's set up in a way where this character is always going to find his way through it. You know, he's trained by his aunt. It's kind of a, a stereotypical trope of this kid who has no right to be surviving, let alone be thriving and, and such a good fighter and all this other stuff, because it really makes no sense. Now, some of that gets explained late in the book, which I won't spoil, but by and large, most of this book, you feel like, okay, he's going to get into trouble and people around him may die, but he's going to be fine, which, you know, kind of takes away from the story a little bit. So he goes out on his own after his aunt dies, like it says in the, the description there, and is, is on a quest to find those that murdered his parents and meets these people, his traveling partners, uh, including a mysterious girl named Selena, who has some sort of magic ability of what they call a mystic. Now, the mystic, it's not like she can cast spells or anything like that. What her magic ability is essentially is kind of a uh, telepathic power, I guess you could say, and the ability to kind of, I don't know how to explain it, step outside of her body and see massive distances away. And the more power powerful you are, the further you can see. And this becomes key to Selena's character because we find out she's extremely powerful, but just has never been trained. Hello, Star Wars. Luke Skywalker, powerful Jedi, never been trained. Uh, anyways, it's a trope, I understand. Most fantasy does come with an element of tropes in it. And you kind of have to expect that going in, which I don't mind it too much, but this is pretty heavy handed. Now, once Taman and Selena get together, there's another character with him. I believe his character name was Lars. Uh, he's kind of a grumpy old man that's, you know, seen better days, but he's survived a long time and he's a fighter and, you know, just a bullish kind of man. Typical 
grumpy fatherly type character who doesn't want to be a fatherly type character, you know, that kind of guy. But they get together and they then form kind of the the new focus of this story because Selena and Lars, and there's a couple other traveling companions with them for a short time, they are on a quest to find this fabled white city where everything is it's supposed to be a paradise, right? And Selena can see it. Like she's directing them on how to get there. But her magic takes a heavy toll on her. She'll have like seizures or be extremely fatigued afterwards and it doesn't always work. And it's because she's untrained, doesn't know what she's doing. But they become the focus and suddenly we're on this quest that is finding them searching for this city and they're getting ever and ever closer. Now, that kind of makes up the whole thrust of the story. And of course, I'm not going to go any further into it. And all of that stuff happens in the first just couple handful of chapters. It's very stereotypical hero's journey quest. You know, we have the young boy, Taman. Oh, he's got a massive hurdle to, to overcome with his, you know, completely crushed foot. And now he's surging back. He's meeting his traveling companions and they're going to go save the day and, and, you know, find the answers to their quest. The thing about this book though, that was so very interesting is, is the, the setting and tone that this book takes. First, it feels very much like a, a post-apocalyptic kind of wasteland style story. Something that you would see in, you know, video game worlds like Fallout or, um, you know, other types of things like that where it's just very desolate, dangerous, gritty wastelands. And then you add in a little bit of an element of magic in the fact that, you know, these people are fighting with swords, not even steel swords, but like some kind of crazy hard wooden swords that cut like steel. I don't know. It's a little different. Um, but you get this strong post-apocalyptic wastelands quest feel. Then you start meeting other races of creatures and the whole thing starts to then feel a little more fantasy and quite frankly, a little bit sci-fi because they talk a lot about these two sons. They talk about these other creatures that are kind of humanoid, but not really, you know, like they're kind of, they're, they're intelligent creatures, but they're kind of, yeah, I don't know. Humanoid is the only way I can put it. And then they, they're barbaric or they may be a little more sensitive to magic, whatever it is. And it, it takes that kind of a feeling with a, a bit of a, a primitive feel where we're back in the early stages of some, you know, civilization or, or planetary feel. And then ultimately about halfways to three quarters of the way through this book, the story takes another shift and morphs into a very familiar cadence. If any of you have seen the movie gladiator with Russell Crowe, or if you've watched the, uh, the very popular series Spartacus, this thing goes into full on gladiator story um, and I'm not going to tell you how that goes, but it, it suddenly shifts into that feeling. And quite frankly, I can't decide if this annoys me because of the constant tonal shifts or if it's actually kind of fun. I think overall, if you can take a step back, not get too seriously critical of those kind of story mechanics in terms of the tonal shifts, it's actually kind of fun. It keeps things interesting, but there are some very definite lines where it changes you know, through the first half of this book, at least the other feeling that this thing has, which is kind of weird, that wasteland feeling and everything else, it feels very much like a Western in some sense. It's like these desert areas. I don't know. Maybe it was just me, but kind of a weird mix of Western sci-fi fantasy, post-apocalyptic wasteland, and then morphing ultimately away from all of that, leaving it all behind and turning into 
a gladiator story. Now, let's talk about characters real quick. From a character standpoint, the book is fairly heavy-handed in its underlying message, which is kind of to tackle and talk about the absurdity of war and hate of other races and peoples just because they're different. I'm not going to say too much here without getting into potential spoiler territory, so just know that if you read this book, you're going to pick up immediately on what I'm talking about. Also, along those lines, in terms of the heavy-handedness, is this book is very, very stereotypical fantasy tropes all through this thing. If that bothers you, you may not like it. But in general, kind of non-spoilery terms, the book really wants to hammer home the idea that we shouldn't hate or want to kill or otherwise rule over people just because they're different than us. And kind of that, that positive message of, you know, we can accomplish so much more and help each other out so much more in advance as a civilization if we work together towards these common goals. Very simplistic, I know, but I, I don't want to spoil anything about the story for you. But just, like I said, trust me, you'll, you'll know it when you see it if you give it a read. Through it all, though, I have one favorite character. Now, this is probably maybe a little bit surprising, being he's not one of the main characters. And it's maybe just kind of one of those uh, feel-good moments. But along the way, Taman becomes friends with this uh, creature that he calls Griff. It's in this world, there are wyverns or, or dragons. Now, before they become dragons, they have to morph into that as their final form. And some of them never manage to, to morph into them. They, they kind of waddle around like these big hippopotamus style creatures that, you know, where he can ride on it like a horse or whatever else. And he finds this creature that, that seems to be stunted, seems too old, seems like it's just one of those creatures that's, you know, a wyvern that's not going to evolve. And him and Griff become close friends. Like Griff becomes his partner on this quest along with Selena and they're very loyal to him, you know, to the point where there are times when Taman gets, um, I don't want to spoil anything, but he gets taken away, for example, and Griff doesn't want to leave him. And Taman has to shoo him away, even though Griff is, you know, his feelings are hurt because he can't be with his partner and things like that. It, it's kind of, again, stereotypical. It's a non-speaking creature. It's basically a pet, a glorified pet. But it's such a cool little story arc, especially with what ends up happening through the later parts of this book. Um, if you've read a lot of fantasy or you've watched a lot of you know, kind of fantasy type movies and, and stories and things like that, you're going to see this story arc telegraphed and, and spotted from a mile away. You'll know where it's heading, but there's still a moment late in this book that even though I saw it coming, I was still kind of doing a, a mental fist pump because, you know, cheering him on. It was, it was really fun. So all that said, let's talk about the bottom line for A Girl From Nowhere by James Maxwell. When push comes to shove, this book does take a lot of very, very familiar fantasy tropes and attempts to roll them all into its own unique story. Overall, for the most part, it mostly succeeds. Mostly. The thing is, as you read this book, I couldn't help feeling like I was reading a, a script or something from a kind of mediocre fantasy action-adventure-style RPG video game. Doesn't mean it's terrible. Just that it left me with a feeling like... Eh, it's it's decent, it's fun, it's not great. You know, it it felt very much like a video game, which if you were playing along and controlling the fights and doing the questing and all that stuff with your character, 
this story would have been amazing for that. You know, it would have been wonderful. But as a book where you're expected to dive in and use your imagination and, and think about these things, it was kind of mediocre. You know, it's fun fantasy. I've definitely read way worse, but uh, definitely read way, way better fantasy. I do enjoy the journey that we see our main characters go on. There was ultimately, though, nothing about their stories that really stood out as being, you know, super, super unique. Like I said, trope heavy. The writing was pretty fast paced. And, and frankly, James Maxwell's writing was well done. It, it was perfectly serviceable and enjoyable fantasy writing. Just enough description to make you feel the danger in the land and the world our characters traversed, but not veering into that Stephen King territory, especially in his early works where you're spending page after page after page, you know, learning about a certain species of a tree or something like that. Um, it's just not quite to that level. It's not epic fantasy like you'd see from The Wheel of Time or uh, A Song of Ice and Fire or the uh, Shannara series. Those worlds are very, you know, kind of next level deep. They're complete with centuries of histories to back up the, the current story, even though they're just a small part. That being said, A Girl from Nowhere is the first in a trilogy. So it could be that that world expands. And frankly, my opinion could change if I decide to continue that journey someday. Given though that this review is only of the first book in the series, that's what I'm basing my review and my opinions of. As such, I'm giving this a 3 out of 5 stars. Recommended if you enjoy fantasy. It's a fun ride. It's a pretty quick read. And it is, you know, enjoyable, even if it is a bit trope-heavy and kind of... Uh, I don't know. The biggest thing is that it, you know, you may or may not enjoy the fact that it is very, fairly stereotypical and the fact that it makes these giant tonal shifts from the wastelands, the post-apocalyptic and kind of western feelings into the sci-fi and fantasy, you know, feeling stuff, and then ultimately into this gladiator-style story. It's not a bad book at all. I actually really enjoyed the read, uh, you know, the ride, I should say, while I was on it. But as soon as it was over, I'll be honest, I really had no strong desire or strong urge to hurry up and jump on the next book in the series because I have a feeling I know where it's all going to go. It's a trilogy you know what we're going to see. You know, if, if you've read a lot of fantasy, you kind of know where it's going. I might do it someday, but it, not, not right now. It's one of those things where since I have such a big back catalog, I may eventually look at picking up the second and third books in this series and, and completing the journey. Maybe someday, but not yet. The biggest thing about this book, though, is that while the story is fun, characters are well done, they don't feel terribly original, it's very trope-heavy. There are moments in this book where the characters seem to feel very familiar, especially so later in the book when we start to get into the, the vibe of Spartacus or the Gladiator, where we feel like it's almost a fantasy retelling of that. If you're looking at this book, I'd recommend it to anyone that's looking for a fun and fast romp through a new fantasy world without having to make a huge commitment to a... a massive epic fantasy series like The Wheel of Time, like The Song of Ice and Fire, uh, like The Worlds of Shannara. Those are amazing books. I'd recommend them to anyone, but they're a commitment. This one, you can get in and out and have a lot of fun, and it's just three books, it looks like. So you're going to have fun with it. Bottom line, it's enjoyable while I was reading it. Wasn't much that hung around after in my head while, you know, after it was done. And overall, very enjoyable, serviceable fantasy, better than most, not as good as the greats, 
not a five star. It's a three star, but definitely fun. Now, the caveat I'll say here, like I mentioned earlier, I grew up with some of these massive epics that everyone knows, the big names, the home run hitters, Lord of the Rings, you know, Shannara, uh, Wheel of Time, all of those. I don't need to say them over again. As such, my comparison bar that I can't help comparing whenever I read any fantasy, I'm always looking at, oh, this feels like that, only not as good. It will take a lot to live up to some of my favorites from my my younger days. I would actually love to see this series translated into a, a video game, kind of in the style of The Witcher 3, where it's that action-adventure, open-world RPG style with a very, this story would be a super solid main story. You could flesh it out in all kinds of directions and it'd be a lot of fun. So I'd love to see a video game adaptation for A Girl From Nowhere by James Maxwell. Ultimately though, give this one a read for yourself. Let me know what you think. If you pick it up, I'd love to hear from you. Now, as always, if you enjoy the reviews and enjoy the AIC Stories podcast experience, consider helping out by sharing this review, sharing the podcast episodes you love, telling your friends about us, and giving us a follow on social media. You can find me everywhere at AIC Stories. Of course, if you want to financially support AIC Stories, you can always help uh, by joining us at buymeacoffee.com slash AIC Stories. Your support there goes directly into continuing to bring you the podcast content that you love, as well as allowing me to keep growing and expanding all that which is possible here in the AIC Stories universe. Fact is, no matter how you support AIC Stories, I greatly appreciate it and appreciate you spending some time with me. Until next time, keep reading, keep listening, keep watching, and most importantly, keep enjoying all of your stories. We'll see you next time.